From Pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network, it's Get Back to the Beatles with Chachi LaPrette and Chachi's co-host, Beatles instructor at Suffolk University, David Galan. Well, hello and welcome to Get Back to the Beatles. As the announcer said, this is Chachi LaPrette. You might know me from my radio show, Breakfast with the Beatles, on for about 30 years in New England, out of Boston, New Hampshire, and Maine. I am here with my famous co-host, the Beatles professor at Suffolk University. We'd like to welcome David Gallant. Hello, Mr. Gallant. How are you? Gotcha. I'm fine. I hope you're well. On uh, For our listeners to remember, a very cold day here in New England. And yeah, doing great. Doing great. Well, we're very excited with our guest, who our guest is today. I, I've enjoyed the subject of Yoko Ono for years, having met her many times and a uh, very, very kind woman. And we have the author of a new book called in your mind, the infinite universe of Yoko Ono. It's a complete look of at Yoko's life as with art and music in really astounding detail, including, of course, the love story of John and Yoko and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame lists in your mind in the Hall of Fame of Library and Archives on several best music book lists and gift guides recommended by Olivia Harrison on Instagram and Fantastic book. It clocks in at just under 600 pages. And being a fan of Yoko Ono for many years, as I said, I found it quite enlightening and connected a lot of dots for me on many levels, including Yoko's conceptual art. It's published by Conceptual Books. It's available wherever fine books are sold. But also, if you go to conceptualbooks.com, you have the opportunity to purchase the hardcover version signed by the author. And you're invited to the author's website, inyourmindbook.com. And Professor Gallant, I'm very happy to welcome to our podcast right now, Madeline Boccaro. Madeline, welcome to Get Back to the Beatles. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It is our pleasure. And as I said, I'm a big Yoko Ono fan, have been for many, many years. And she's had a tough, a tough kind of reception in the light of being with John Lennon. I don't know if, has that changed at all, the perception of Yoko Ono? For instance, in the 70s, I mean, I grew up in Cambridge, right? So in the 70s, I worked in Harvard Square, and I remember walking through Harvard Square, and people, a guy was passing out Yoko Ono, Yoko broke up the band pins. And Crazy. back then, we didn't, have, we didn't have social media and so on. But has that perception changed at all? I suggest that it would, it did, but you tell me. I think it's coming around. I have not heard a bad word about the book. In fact, everybody's raving about it. And there are groups online, uh, Yoko fan groups, and a lot of women look up to her. I think the myth is kind of disappearing through the generations, mm -hmm. except there's still the memes and all. Somebody pops up once in a while, and then you get people cropping up in the Beatle group saying something bad, but then the administrator gets them out. So it's still around, but, you know, the Get Back documentary cleared some of it up. My yes. book will hopefully clear all of it up. I mean, I wouldn't have felt so strongly about doing this if she was a crummy person, but she right. is the most enlightened, beautiful being I've ever met. And yes, see why John loved her. There's no reason to be bashing this woman, especially if you love John. Exactly. And I've always had that mindset. If John loved her, there's a reason for that. And I've always accepted Yoko. But let me ask you, I mean, is yours the only book on Yoko Ono? And why would you choose this subject? I know you said because she's a beautiful person. 
but you got to spend time with her. So talk about all that. Yeah, well, this book is different from all the others in that most of them are just about her art. And if there are some biographies, they're very brief. And this woman lived 90 years and she did something important almost every day of that life. She had 33 years before she met John. Then she was with him for about 12. And then she lived another 40 years after his death. Mm. So this is a lot. And she worked in every medium, films, music, tele, yeah, everything. And I just felt that all of her work was misunderstood and I understood it. And I used to spend time with her and she would be thrilled to discuss everything with me because she could tell that I got it and I understood her. And so I just felt it was my responsibility to get her real story out. Her, her whole ancestry is fascinating. Her childhood during the war, incredible story. Yeah. And, and. Her childhood, I mean, I guess that's a, a good place to start. I mean, she wasn't really understood by her parents, according to your book. I mean, the parents were kind of standoffish. She didn't have money, many interactions with her dad. She'd yeah. walk in. Also. It was much deeper than that. I mean, she came from a family of billionaires, her, her mother's side, banking billionaires. They were one of the three richest families in all of Japan. They were very powerful. Her ancestors, her uncles were, one of them was the first to get a PhD. What, he was on the USS Missouri when the emperor surrendered. Her aunts were a famous painter and violinist. Her mother was a, a musician. I mean, there was a lot going on. Her mother was a socialite. She didn't meet her father till she was three years old because he was away in America on business. So she was raised by servants. The, the family had a lot of servants and She'd be served her meal every day at this gigantic table with these women in kimono staring at her and not speaking because she was their superior and they weren't supposed to interact with her. And even when she wanted a playmate, they asked one of the servant's children to play with her. And the girl was calling her miss. And it was just very formal. And then when she said, the girl said, I have to go away now and she saw the girl playing with her own friends, and she just felt very, very lonely. And then when she got older, her parents disapproved of every... She, they were grooming her to marry some other wealthy Japanese entrepreneurs, but she didn't want any part of that. And they were just disapproving of every boyfriend she ever had. They didn't like any of her husbands, especially John, because <laughs> he came to meet them when he was all scruffy and overalls and... He, they were not impressed at all. Any other family that the daughter's marrying a beetle, they'd say, hey, get us tickets to the show. But not in her case. Not at wow, all. that's interesting. David Gallant, let me pull you into this. I know you, you're in class with students. Where does Yoko Ono lie in what you teach your, well, your kids and how do they? Yeah. And if, if, if we had world enough in time in my class, of course, we would devote it's not this isn't the focus of the class but sure we would devote time to i think some of some of yoko's early professional forays into the fringe areas of avant-garde performance art in the early 60s years before she she met john and that's a very interesting period how does she get there from sarah lawrence how does she get from japan to sarah lawrence they're always interesting to discuss and i mean the madeline might get into this a little bit but you have a different sense of priority and looking out after children. This is the way it should be. And in a very bizarre way, very different social classes. Yoko's parents and Aunt Mimi actually don't live that far away from each other in terms of parenting 
for their children and what they would want and those structures, right? So it's, it's very kind of interesting that way. But within the class, I think that uh, students of, of this age, when they're growing up, if they know about the Beatles, probably are on the far side of hearing the the rhetoric or the blame toward Yoko Chachi like you're showing on that pin. They're really a bit more sophisticated involved and evolved because their parents are. And I think a lot of people growing up in a certain era like myself and then my contemporaries understand that any sort of vitriol thrown toward Yoko's way was not anything to do with Yoko. It was to do with the society itself, which at that point would have been inherently misogynist and racist and not understanding that a woman isn't going to break up the band. And there was a lot of that inherent stuff which came out in very, very ugly ways. And I think a lot of the students that I work with have grown up in a, in a much more tolerant, despite what we see in the world, in really a much more tolerant uh, tolerant upbringing, a tolerant environment. And I think that they see it for for what it is and, and what breaks up the band or anything of that nature. But we do get into the forays into sort of that any type of art world that is pushing the boundaries, as the Beatles did in one sphere. They were all interested, I think, in what was going on out there in the world. But Chachi is, and, and Madeline knows it was kind of interesting that really Paul McCartney was the one who was who had the freedom in some ways to work in those circles and support those circles monetarily in London and would have maybe heard of Yoko first and then sort of inspired John to go down to the Indica Gallery, for instance. If, yeah, if I've got, that, if I've got that process right, Madeline. Yeah, Paul is a little bitter that he was so avant-garde and John beat him to the punch. And there's this funny <laughs> quote from Paul and he says, he was out there in Weybridge and his pipe and slippers and I was the one doing and John gets loose and here he goes, right? And then... Paul said he had been making all kinds of tape loops. He was listening to Stockhausen and all the 12-tone composers. And he had these loops and he told John, one day I'm going to make an album and it's going to be called Paul McCartney Goes Too Far. And John said, <laughs> great, man, brilliant, go for it. <laughs> I wish he did. Well, so, certainly, I don't know if Paul would have posed naked on an album with Yoko. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but children uh, would love, Yoko was very childlike in spirit. And John, too, like they, they thought the two virgins that children would enjoy, like how but they bang around pots and pans and make noise that anybody can be an artist. Any of it. And they heard book Grapefruit, all those instructional painting, instructional pieces that are so poetic and, and sweet. And children would really get that, I think. Yeah. And I, I have my Grapefruit book here that Yoko signed for me many That's years sweet. ago. And I, I do enjoy that book. I bought that in Harvard Square many, many years ago. but. Let's go back to when John met Yoko, when it was just one simple word through a magnifying glass. And I think that's a, that says a lot about Yoko. A lot of her pieces are driven, not negative. Mm. Uh, and, and that one word, yes versus no, could have changed the whole course of everything in terms of the Beatles. Yeah. But that was what Yoko was all about, the positive aspects of life. Positive, yeah, focusing on nature and invisible things that are important and the half that's missing. She's very esoteric and metaphysical. And that's what I want to bring out. I mean, these are things that we ignore in life. We're so far away from nature now that we're really destroying ourselves. And she's been saying it all along. And she's like, what's more important than air? And it's, it's an invisible thing. But if it was visible, we'd all be in big trouble. Mm -hmm. Or like she would present her half a room with every object painted white and cut in half and we're looking at the half that's there 
but what she's showing us is the half that's missing. Right. Right. I, I found her to be so intriguing in the many times I've spoken to her and I'm a big fan of her music. I'm, I'm probably in a minority that says sometime in New York city to me was, was a great record when I was younger. It was younger. great. I saw the concert and everything. The one-to-one -one show. I was 14. Went wow. To yeah. Wow. I and remember I had. Every album and every song is discussed in the, in the book and it's not shoved in the back like a discography. It's all within the placement of where it belongs in her story. Yeah, and, we, and on, on my radio show, I don't hold back. I play We're All Water, Sisters Oh Sisters, even Angela. I mean, I love those songs. They brought me into the world of John and Yoko and, and the things that they were trying to accomplish. And so for me, they got the word out on all those issues, and I enjoyed the album. And Yoko was pretty impressed when I was playing those songs prior to our interviews. And so I really did find a lot of enjoyment in her music and I mean, her career has been so diverse. I mean, over the last 10, 15 years, she's had number one club dance club hits. Right. So, I mean, I mean, so good for her, right? Right. Good for everyone. <laughs> That's right. Professor Gallant? Yeah, Chachi, I, I, I had a question for, for, for Madeline, because I'm always interested when we, have, when we have on our guests who have authored a tome about any particular subject, sort of the timing of where and when Madeline decided to take on this project. Obviously, these are things she has thought about, collected a lot of information. I mean, the book itself is a is is kind of an interesting sequential almost collage because we have Ma Madeline's narrative voice, we have Oko things from all different type of media as another voice sort of not countering Madeline's but but talking back to it. So whenever you're creating a a, a narrative like that where you've got different voices sort of talking back and forth, it's a very interesting way to approach it. So, Madeline, I'm kind of curious, first, when and where or how did you decide to sort of sit down to do this and why that particular type of format? It started out, I, nobody could sit, sit, I don't think, nobody could do it justice by saying, I'm going to write a book about Yoko Ono, start on page one and do all the research. It's not going to come out. It's not going to have her essence. It's not going to be real. and. What what this was, was since I was 10 years old, I was collecting everything I saw about her because I saw one little picture and it, it was just amazing. And I just, I love this woman. And I started keeping everything. Luckily, it was all in chronological order. And I kept cassettes off the radio. I kept then her own social media later on. I started following and keeping everything I felt was important. And I had written individual stories about an album about an artwork about a film because i have friends who wanted to know what did this mean or that and they were all short stories and during covid uh my friend gave me software and said why don't you dump all your word documents into this program and organize it and see what you have at least it'll be a one one place and sure enough i played with it and played with it and i fleshed it out and over another two years or so i I put the puzzle pieces together and I wanted it to be mostly in her voice because I knew what was important and how she said it and when she said it. And I grabbed the quotes and nobody else could have done it. Yeah, but you you know what, though? It's it's her voice. But the way you set it up in the narrative and then the way you follow it up, it's not that different from what I want my students to do in any in any of their writing. I'm teaching a just a, a composition class this semester. And I want them to make a clear statement, provide proof, and then analyze why that's important, right? And put it mm -hmm. in context. And I think it's a, it's a, readers should not be, if they first heard Chachi mention it at the beginning of, of our talk, 
readers should not be put off by what they hear of the length of the of the of the work that you've presented because of the way it flows and because it's very very sequential. And you're not the first author, I'm sure, and not the first that Chachi and I have spoken with, where the era of COVID, there's a there was a, a an interesting line for writers and creative types that COVID went from curse to opportunity in almost yeah. like yeah. In, in a blink, basically, right? So yeah, um, the silence I, I needed. And... Yes, yeah. sweet, sweet are the uses of adversity. I think Shakespeare wrote right. So there you have it. So I, I'm not surprised. I am the surprised. last person to advocate lengthy works. I, I hate it. It's boring and intellectualizing, criticizing, investigating. But the reason it's lengthy is because there's so much, but everything is simply spelled out. And with conservation of words, I mean, if I was anyone else, this would have been a thousand pages. But yeah, I, I, I even Yoko's whole philosophy, everything she does and says is, is written very concisely, like haiku. And I'm all for that. And that's like, I don't have any extraneous words. You you don't. I mean, the, the book itself is both, it is both tip of iceberg and iceberg too, <laughs> in, <laughs> in some way. So I'm, you, you did a good job defending yourself against your own violations <laughs> about yeah. like, so it, it really just had, it had to be done. And there's, it just, it had to be, even if, if we're spending a long time presenting uh, Go's economy of language and economy of thought and economy about her statements about art. So it, it, it had to be that, that length. But my point is it doesn't feel that way. So kudos. Yeah, it's all short stories and people are so happy. They're like, oh, I can read this chapter and not lose the plot. It's a self-contained story. And if I don't want to read about this album... I'll go to the next chapter. It's just like, I didn't want to leave anything out for the people who really care. And it's her history. I'm not going to shorten her story just because somebody might be bored. So, you know, right. skip around, read it, read the sections that you like. There's wisdom on every page. Now, right. and, and David, you're right. I found the book to be a great read and the number of pages did not deter me at all. The way it's formatted, Madeline, the way the, the quotes and the different attributions throughout and the the, the music. I, I just thoroughly enjoyed the book. I'm still in the middle of it. I will be honest it with you. Better but and better. <laughs> it does. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And when you look at Yoko's childhood, and there are a lot of parallels between her and John. And I think you even said that her life path number was number nine. Right. Which mm -hmm. is, of course, John's known for number nine. So number talk about that. Well, it, oh, let me read it. It's like when you read someone's astral, you don't believe in astrology, but, but you read the chart and you go, oh my God, this is me. So I'll, I'll find it because it's and, incredible. Yeah. And while you're looking for it, I mean, um, I got but it. you got to go ahead. Yeah. The characteristics in numerology are giving, idealistic, adventurous, high level of mental energy, able to handle difficulties and challenges, communicator, sees the big picture sensitive, courageous, driven, responsible, depth of wisdom, aware and intuitive, leads others on a spiritual path. No need for material security. Trust and love are very important. We'll experience success later in life. Wow. That's, and, and a lot of that is, that's John too, right? So there are a lot of parallels there. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so I thought I found that to be very interesting. And, and certainly together, they cause a lot of controversy in the 70s and she put up with a lot even with john's wedding album they put in all the articles a lot of them that were disparaging to yoko so it must have been tough for her to deal with all that going on all the criticism because she 
many people saw her to to be the person that broke up the Beatles. So it must have been tough for her. Well, yeah. I mean, they were both brutally honest. So in a way, although they were benevolent in doing such a thing and sharing with the world, people couldn't handle it. And, and, and when they were seeing you know, John was doing cold turkey, well, they're on drugs now. And, and they, they learned. She said, after cold turkey, we kind of learned. Like we used to put ourselves forth without waiting. But, you know, maybe we should have waited till people were ready for that point. But then they also said they were in such a dream world. They were so much in love that they were in the center of this cyclone and they couldn't see outside of it. And especially in the beginning, like two virgins, they really just thought that was fabulous. Like, why should anybody give us any help for that? And they just were so innocent in a way. They were, they were innocent. And it always brings me back to when they did the bed in and there's a scene where Cap is there. And let me tell you, when I was a kid, I delivered groceries to Al Cap in Harvard Square. He lived right out of, outside of Harvard <laughs> Square. And I liked him back then. I, would, I, was, I was a young kid. I delivered groceries to him. But once I saw that, my word, I mean, he was just so rude to them. And they put up with a lot. So yeah, Al Cap, was, I was not a fan after that. No. No, not, not a fan. But when you think about it now, which celebrity... Any, just think of every celebrity. Which celebrity would they deliberately write lies about, or or tell the the interviewer who, who was assigned to do an interview with Yoko? I have several of them in my book, unpublished ones, and I would say this is beautiful. Why was this never published? Oh, it was for Esquire. They told me you got to dirty this up. You got to say she turned him on to drugs. You got to say she abandoned her daughter. You've got to say this and this and all lies. And luckily, these people had the integrity to pull the story, but most of them didn't. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it was like a campaign against her. It was awful. Yeah, and and, and the anti Yoko people ate that up. They just they ate it up, and there was no form of research to mm -hmm. to kind of debunk. Right now, you go Google it, and you say, oh, she didn't do that. Exactly. Okay. Uh, David. So for our listeners, Madeline, this is a, a, an interesting portion of their, of their lives. And I'll say lives intentionally, right? Because both, both John and Yoko lived, lived many lives together and apart. And so and you're right. A lot of people were un made uncomfortable by the way they made their art life and the street theater with protests and everything of that nature, um, whether it was in bed or in the streets. Now, we get to an interesting phase, if you will, with the lost weekend period and May Pang. So for our listeners, how, how do you that subject in, in your text, where, 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 when, or if, or in the context? And, and how would you describe if, if people think that there were very strategic methods by, by Yoko as a, for thinking longer term about her marriage and her life in John, given this period, which was very troubling for all involved? Uh, it was troubling. I, I, I tell the story what led up to it, our association with the radicals and the sometime in New York City album and the planned tour being canceled and John going in a downward spiral. Nixon wins the election. He was just a mess. And he committed probably his first infidelity to Yoko. And that was what broke the camel's back. And they had been getting been together 24-7 for however many years it had been since 1968, right? Four years. And uh, the FBI was on their case. They were being 
tapped and followed and they were paranoid. I mean, just pile another thing on top of that her daughter was missing. I mean, this stuff, no human being could really withstand it. And he cracked and he was drinking. And so she said, look, he's got to go, whether it's forever or temporarily a break. And so everybody thinks it's some random woman she chose to go make love to her husband. But basically, May was their assistant for a long time. She was a very capable, she was like 22 years old. She booked all their sessions. She also knew a lot about music and publishing. And she, Yoko said, look, go with John and manage his affairs. And whatever happens, happens. And she'd rather be with someone from their inner circle than someone she didn't know. And she knew that May would care for him and that they might possibly fall in love. And they did. John loved May. And even when they they got back together, he was still saw her until he really reconnected and moved back in with Yoko. So, I mean, this is when you tell it now there are three sims, two daddies, all kinds of situations. And that is looked upon as so strange and weird. So John had this affair, but it was with someone she knew. And whether or not they were getting back together, she didn't know. But they did. And, and Paul McCartney was instrumental in that, which most people don't know. And that's what's mm. in my book as well. Well, I mean, I, I guess I had always kind of maybe bought into the myth that, and I don't think it's a myth in many ways, that, that, that Yoko, and not in a bad way, was strategic and very forward thinking and long range thinking that, that to sort of, if John was going to have a chance to survive this period, uh, there ought to be a trusted insider there. And we can fall in love with, with multiple people. And sometimes it is simultaneously, right? Yeah, I mean, you could still be in love with Yoko. She just isn't there at the time. And so maybe I, maybe that's just a bit of wishful thinking that, that Yoko knew exactly what she was doing. As John would say, she knew exactly what she was doing with investments and finances and management that way too. And People can uh, call know. it calculating or people can call it wise or caring even. Well, yeah, or or as I just did, forward thinking, calculating is that's that's kind of harsh, but I do think that there's a there's a sense of of anyone in that artistic realm that you hope, even if you do things not necessarily on a whim, it is planned, and you hope that the impact is permanent. And I think that maybe having him surrounded by by May was a way to ensure that there could be a possibility of a return, right? Yeah, so that he wouldn't die. I mean, he was right. really in bad shape. Right. Who knows what she had to put up with. I mean, I don't know how long I could stand hanging around Harry Nielsen. I would have been gone in an instant. <laughs> right. And she says, like, Roy Sakala, the engineer out there, called her up and said, hey, come get Johnny. He's out of control. We can't handle him. And she said, hey, look, you've been, you've been saying I've been keeping him prisoner here. Now it's your turn. You take it. <laughs> right, right. And and you touched on the fact that Yoko was an astounding businesswoman. She made John a lot of money. Of course, there's the stories of the cows years ago, buying cows. No one ever did that. Right. And so it, maybe it was passed down from her parents being bankers and so right, on. But, right. but she was an, a really a great businesswoman, made a she lot of money. And she had some tactics. There's some funny stories in there where... She wore an Arab headdress to these meetings with all these Jewish lawyers, and they said nothing about it, but she knew they knew it was there. And then one time she was at an apple meeting and she was eating an apple. It's just hilarious. But she said she played it like a chess game. She was very good at chess. 
And she yeah. said she just looked upon it like strategically. And and it, and there's so many things. I mean, the, David Gallant and I both know a photographer by the name of Roger Farrington, a local guy in Boston. Yoko hired him to shoot pictures at, during the beginning of the double fantasy sessions. And he, she had to know Roger's birthday, time of when he was born, and she had to check him out. So talk about that part of Yoko where, you know, all of these stars had to be aligned for her to work with. Yeah, certain- it's strange. She never did that with me. It was very, I, I was almost expecting it, but we, it's fine. But uh, she had a directionalist. She would send John on trips because that was going to alter the course of his karma. And there's a chapter in the book called Premonitions. And it's all about this kind of stuff. And a lot of the lyrics that she had written in the 70s it really eerily came true later on. And it's just really strange how, how psychic she is. Yeah. And recently, Professor, you might remember this. We had the lawyer in who was handling, representing John for the Roots album with Morris Levy. Mm-hmm. And there's a part in the book where She's talking to John's lawyers and said, something's going to happen today. Something will happen. that's going to change everything. And they're like, nothing's going to happen. This is all worked out. But she <laughs> said, nope, something will happen. And it happened. They changed the course of the, of the court case. I think in this case, the judge recused himself and put another judge mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and she called that. And the, and the lawyers were like, wow, she was right. Remember that, David? I do. And I don't know at that point because it wasn't in, in uh, Councillor Levy's text. Right. And I'm going to make a wild guess here that Councillor, that Tarsavi of Jewish, that, that perhaps Yoko was wearing the, the headdress that Madeline was talking about, eating an apple at the same time, consulting astrological charts, but also at the part of it, probably said something that they thought might have been out there, but had done actual research and read the papers and everything like that in the background. So, it's it's always great to sort of sound that way, to sound rather metaphysical and mystical, but at the same time, you've got all the the the, the charts and graphs and the numbers in your back pocket, right? So the only the only way to be to, to reach that high is to have your you know a good foundation anyway. So it was it was an interesting tale and a lot of and some of those things, Chachi, as we learned, where where John was in some ways. Even if he was being taken advantage of by others and getting into hot water, sometimes it's when a part of that started when he wasn't necessarily with with Yoko during that time. I mean, he really would have been at his best uh, post Beatles when he was really working alongside Yoko. Mm-hmm. There's a quote from Elliot Mintz, who was their longtime friend and publicist, and he is raving. He says, my book is a masterpiece. And coming from him, that's the biggest wow. honor I could have. But he said, sometimes Yoko grew impatient with the necessity to explain the, the directional and the karma and the, all, all her intuition. But at the same time, John was not a gullible man. He was basically a cynic. He had been burned by some of the best, like the Maharishi, for one. Yoko has been interacting with these people all her life. You've got to run a pretty good scam to get past her for more than a four or five readings. So if Yoko buys it, it's good enough. Yeah, she was an, um, she's an extraordinary woman. That, that goes without saying. And just touching on a couple of quick things. First of all, she was a, a, a an extraordinary musician, right? An accomplished piano player, if my memory serves me correct. And there's that story for the song, Because 
she was playing Moonlight Sonata for John. John mm-hmm. has her play it backwards and she just plays it backwards. And there he creates the song because. So she was a pretty extraordinary musician too. She was classically trained. She only played piano. Uh, but since a child, as a young child, she went to a very prestigious school with the emperor's sons and all the royalty there. And yeah, but she was drawn towards the bazaar, the 12 tone, Schoenberg, well, even Alban Berg and Brecht and Weil and John Cage, of course. So she hooked up with all those people in Manhattan and started the Chamber Street concert series where she gave all those people a platform and place to present their music. Yeah. And, and then Very, it, way ahead of meltdown, she just yeah, coordinated yeah. all that. And, and then she had her filmmaking career. I mean, John and Yoko made some very controversial films. They never get shown anywhere anymore, but certainly there's all kinds of films that they made. Yeah, uh, she used to show them at, before her exhibitions and concerts. And she had a whole evening at MoMA where she showed all her films and sat, we sat in the front row with her watching and she was explaining that it was great. Wow. So you had a, a deep friendship. You have a deep friendship with Yoko. Oh, deep. I mean, I've been with her many, many times and yeah, I'm just thrilled that I got her. She used to, she wrote me a letter that said, your intelligent observations always touch me. Isn't that great? Good for you. She's, uh, like I said, she's a fantastic lady. She's always been very kind to me and what she went through. I mean, I don't know how, you know, anyone would be able to live through what happened to her in terms of what happened to John, that she was able to. Well, I have the chapter about all that, their quiet life at the Dakota and how they had their problems with they're basically happy. They're coming out with a new album. And I try to not make it so brutal, but you know, you do want people to get it. Like the same reason she put John's bloody glasses on that album cover. This is what I saw. She she saw her husband in a pool of blood right in front of her. Yeah. So, and then it, there were all those authors that were conspiring. That's another thing, conspiring to right, walking out of there with the diaries and God knows what else. And, and, and then one day, all of that unraveled because she was doing, she said one night, I don't know, I, I just couldn't take it anymore. All my trusted employees were turning on me and I just started blessing all of their names every night and saying bless you when i was saying this name and that name and even though they were so horrible to me and then one day they all turned on each other and one of them came to her and confessed everything and it all kind of got righted it she she put them all to to rest so yeah there were a lot of betrayals going on there we're not going to mention who these people are but they know who they are and yeah but you think john's death was the worst of it for her but it wasn't it, it just got worse and worse and scarier and scarier. Wow. Well, I, I am enjoying the book. I, I think it's a fantastic read. In Your Mind, The Infinite Universe of Yoko Ono. Professor, as we begin to wrap up our conversation, any last questions, any thoughts? Well, it makes me think when uh, Yoko has the John's glasses on the album cover there as a as a reminder. I, I think of of what was remarked on, <laughs> even in the the series The Crown on Jackie Kennedy not taking the dress off with the bloodstains of of JFK mm-hmm. as 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 she's coming off the plane or after Johnson is sworn in to sort of remind everybody that that this was done. And, and in some ways, of course, one person murdered John, but in a lot of ways, 
a lot of parts of society were complicit in that. And I think she would want everybody to know. I'm also taken by some of Madeline's other work that I've noticed and even some of the, the, the imagery behind her now that we're seeing here on Zoom. And obviously she has been a narrative voice in the pop culture realms for, for quite some time. And I guess just as a, a, little, a little sly thing, I wonder what Madeline thinks of the great, I think it's a neat song, the Bare Naked Lady song. Yoko Ono. Oh, that's fine. You know, at least it's positive. It's positive and it's fun in a lot of ways. It really is positive and fun. And uh, I've always thought it was, it was kind of, they've always had kind of wry, a little bit snarky lyrics, but I, I do think that that's, I've played it, I've played it for my students too. If they were ever wondering how does Yoko find herself still in, in certain pop culture realms, not as, not as a joke and not as a, as a, as someone to who is responsible for, for breaking up the Beatles, but uh, as another, as another image, even if, I mean, my students are far too young to remember her appearance on the old sitcom, Mad About You, which I don't know exactly in retrospect, had she ever commented much about what she thought of that appearance? Oh, I didn't speak to her about that, but she had fun, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, Madeline, thank you so much for the book. Thank you for joining us. And she's such an extraordinary, interesting character, an interesting person, I should say. And we love Yoko Ono and we always and only wish her the best. And we thank you for coming on the show. The book is called In Your Mind, The Infinite Universe of Yoko Ono from Conceptual Books. And you can find it wherever fine books are sold or go to conceptualbooks.com where you can get the hardcover version autographed by the author. And of course, the author's website, inyourmindbook.com. I thoroughly recommend this book. I'm going to continue reading it. And we're going to have you on the radio show soon, Madeline, if you awesome. uh, mind. That'd We'd love great. to have you on Breakfast with the Beatles. This is our long-form conversation. And I know that the professor and I were both very excited to get you booked Thank on our you. program. Her 90th birthday is coming up in February That's right. 15th. So just 90th her. birthday. Isn't that amazing? Good for her. Uh, Madeline, fantastic book jacket design, by the way. Wonderful oh, yeah. graphics. Wonderful graphics the artist. There. She, It was a greeting card I saw online on this artist's website, and I asked her permission to use it, and she was so gracious, and she's really happy that it's getting such exposure. Her name is Kat McInnes, and she has a website, katmcinnis.com. Well, it's, I know that we're, we're podcasting. People can't see it. I don't know if there's a way that we might also possibly use that as maybe the icon to, for people to link on this podcast, but it really is fantastic imagery for that book. Yeah, I think it's perfect. Thank you. Yeah, And in closing, I'll say that, man, the, the peace mission of John and Yoko and a lot of their songs still resonate today. It's, it's sad to say that with war, I can't believe there's a war going on in the world. Oh, no. And and I wonder what John would do about that if he were with us today. But certainly, you know, he wouldn't be quiet about it. We know that. <laughs> that's that's for sure. So the work of John and Yoko continues, and we deliver it here as much as we can on our podcast and radio show. And so, thank you, Madeline, for joining us. We sincerely appreciate it. And everybody, please go get the book. It's fantastic. In your mind, the infinite universe of Yoko Ono. It shows you the real story of Yoko and her life. So thank you, Madeline, so much thank for coming you, on Jackson. the show. Thank you, guys. Okay, and this is Get Back to the Beatles, and it's produced by the Boston Podcast Network. David Jazz, our spiritual leader and producer, he can produce your podcast if you'd like to do one, and we love the Boston Podcast Network. 
and uh, come back very soon for another episode. Madeline, thank you so much for coming. Professor Gallant, good to see you, my friend. Good to and see you, Chachi. I want to extend also more thanks to Madeline. It's fantastic to have her on. Thank yes. you. Nice to meet you. And a little happy birthday greeting to Yoko Ono. We'll see you next time on Get Back to the Beatles. Take care. Get back, Jojo. Make sure to check for the latest episode of Get Back to the Beatles with Chachi LaPrette at pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network.